Hello, and welcome to season two of Check Your Beer. My name is Amy Todd. I'm the owner of Zymology Labs, and I help brewers make better beer through analytical testing, consulting, and training. This season, I'm interviewing folks who work in beer quality positions. We'll learn how they got into beer, what their day-to-day looks like, how they grew their quality programs, challenges they faced, advice for brewers looking to start a quality program, the best part of their jobs, and much, much more. I hope this podcast motivates you and gives you ideas about where to start and how you can improve your own quality program. Let's take a listen to our first guest. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode. Today, we have Jack from Von Trapp Brewing in Stowe, Vermont. So, hello, Jack. Why don't you tell us a little bit about how long you've been with Von Trapp and how you got into the beer industry in the first place? Hey, how's it going? Uh, first off, thanks for having me, Amy. This is fun to talk with other lab and QC yeah, people. I know. I know. We, we always get a nerd out, uh-huh. and I'm the only one here, so sometimes I'm just talking to myself. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I've been at Von Trapp exactly a year as of this week. Well, congratulations. Uh, yeah, thank you. Survived, made it. Hopefully live to see another one. Uh, yeah, prior to this, I was working at Oxbow Brewing Company in Maine. Uh, I guess for those unfamiliar, it's a farmhouse brewery with two production locations. Uh, with a focus on saisons, farmhouse ales, uh, spontaneous fermentation, and then lagers. And yeah, prior to that, I had no real, you know, degree in microbiology or chemistry or any of that. I just kind of learned the process through doing the Siebel Domans program, uh, learned sensory through studying for Cicerone exams, and yeah, just kind of worked my way up that way and just, you know, learned lab basics and then kind of more in- intermediate and, you know, advanced techniques just by doing them and talking to other folks and uh yeah then just had the opportunity to come to vermont and build out the lab here and it's you know been crazy ever since (laughs) in a good way great (laughs) the lab was built in with the new brewery uh was built here five years ago and they you know had the foresight to build a lab and you know have the dedicated space to it but it was just kind of like the everybody's office, throw their paperwork, mm-hmm. ditch it in a corner. Uh, there was a microscope collecting dust, and then there was pretty much nothing else except a PCR machine that was also collecting dust. Uh, so there were always good intentions to have the lab up and running and have it you know, operational, but essentially nobody was trained to do it, and nobody had the time or resources to kind of get it going. Um, so yeah, when I did the interview here, I saw this lab just, you know, again, collecting dust and just saw the potential for it to be operational and functional and just like really, really was kind of a blank slate. Great. What was the first thing that you started in the lab? Um, luckily they had the foresight to start a can library. Mm-hmm. So it was me just kind of like going back through all of the physical records of, cans over the last four or five, six months that were just kind of hanging out in there. And uh, that led me down many rabbit holes of, you know, getting to the bottom of what was happening in these cans. And then through that, it was kind of like waiting for supplies to show up and the incubator and HLP material and all the media and all that stuff. So uh, it was like a month process between me starting and then just kind of hitting the ground running. Mm-hmm. So what does kind of the day-to-day look like in the lab or, you know, kind of a mix of day-to-day, but also, you know, I know some things are only kind of weekly. Sure, yeah. So um, we have a really small team, so we still share a lot of tasks. You know, we're a pretty big brewery, but um, it takes a small amount of people to run it. So 
Uh, first thing in the morning, I'm grabbing gravity or gravities, checking pHs, doing all that stuff. Um, we, you know, try to do as much natural carbonation as possible. So it's just checking in with the tanks to know when to close them to, you know, spund them and collect CO2. Um, checking in with beers before being packaged, both just final pH gravity check-in, taste check-in, uh, making sure everything is clean and looking good. Um, and then because we do pretty much all loggers, we do forced diastole tests. And, you know, you can be running four or five in a day, just depending on where things are at during fermentation. Uh, so that's just kind of like my first thing in the morning, get it done, get it going. And then, yeah, every day, like we're packaging every day. So every day it's chance to go back and check in one week, two weeks, one month, two month on canned beer. Um, so just, you know, seeing those, how they progress and if anything happens, um, you know, kind of following up with that. And then, yeah, I guess on the more kind of like weekly or sporadically, it's doing plates, HLP, uh, doing PCR, both on the cellar, bright tanks, packaged beer, um, anything else that we might have concerns about. And then, yeah, just lots of sensory check-in, checking in with the brew team, you know, going over the schedule. Um, and then a big thing, we started propagating our own yeast. So that's its own whole process of hitting our cell counts, propagating everything, and then just kind of like mapping out for how we're going to divvy up yeast for the week or the month and all that. Um, and on top of that, we also contract brew for upper pass. So then, you know, taking into account all the other things with ale fermentation and propagating their yeast and their hop usage and all that stuff. So it's, it can be a lot, but yeah. I kind of found my own rhythm and making it work so far. Mm -hmm. Great. What are some, maybe some resources that you've used as you kind of built out this lab and kind of started doing more, more things here? Uh, yeah, so a big resource I've always used is the University of Southern Maine, mm -hmm. uh, the Quality Control yeah. Laboratory. Um, I worked with them a lot while I was there at Oxbow. Lucy and her team run an awesome lab, and uh, they're always super great to reach out to and very open and transparent. And, you know, when I'm not sending samples to you, Amy, I'm also <laughs> reaching out to them because, yeah. you know, they can do things like test DMS and mm -hmm. do, you know, a little more substantial, you know, mass spec if you want. So... Uh, yeah, that's always a good resource. And then just like really online, NBAA, ASBC, uh, there's so many good resources. And like, of course, Amy, you've put out a lot of great material online for free that is just like good check-ins and reminders to be like, hey, am I doing this right? Like, how would Amy be doing it? You know? <laughs> so uh, yeah, and then just like talking with other folks. I had a connection with the lab at Allagash. We'd worked with them on a couple of projects. And uh, yeah, really just like, being open and you know trying to learn as much as possible what is your favorite part of working in the lab um right now my favorite part's just kind of like the independent you know trajectory of this because i'm running this by myself and there's not really anyone else here that like knows how a lab works or mm -hmm. how it runs so it's them kind of just trusting me to take it and run with it and you know building it out um how i wanted it you know I was provided a lot of resources, but I was also doing it with a constrained budget. You know, if you take what I was doing here or what I'm doing here versus what I did at Oxbow, like there's a lot of crossover from mm -hmm. small farmhouse brewery lab and then what I'm doing here. Um, so it's just a matter of like, you know, scaling up, having a wish list, but being real realistic with mm -hmm. you know, what you work with. 
What's your least favorite part of working in the lab? To be honest, it's just like the little inconsistencies that you come across that become really frustrating over time mm. and that you can rack your brain as much as you want, but it just like leads you to be more kind of critical and um, yeah, it's, I, would, I wouldn't even see it as a disadvantage or something I don't like. I mm-hmm. We enjoy, you know, working this day in and day out. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard uh, trying to troubleshoot something and then not really, did it fix itself or was it because of this little thing or? Right, exactly. Yeah, I hear that. So what type of quality reporting do you do? How do you kind of communicate what's going on in the lab? I know you said it's, you know, very independent, but uh, do you do much, uh, you know, communicating with other people in the brewery or what happens if, you know, you find some sort of a issue that needs to be taken care of? Um, yes, I mean, I'm in really open and constant communication with our head brewer, our general manager, our seller team. Um, and, you know, luckily we haven't had to have those big conversations, but it's pretty much just like a daily check-in. Uh, how much yeast are we pitching? How's this tank looking? How's this can coming off the line? Um, checking in with our packaging manager and their team every day. Um, so it's really nothing like set in stone, like, hey, we meet at this time mm-hmm. every day. It's just like in passing like this is what's going on and then we have weekly production meetings where it's you know what's happening with sales what's happening with quality and if any of that happens it's just like a good opportunity to kind of loop everyone in and then just you know forecast for the future like what's happening in one week two weeks three weeks and yeah just kind of getting a handle on what all is ahead of us speaking of the future do you have future goals for the lab things that You'd like to, things on your wish list? Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, as much as I love counting cells by hand, a cellometer mm-hmm. or automatic cell counter would be great to have. And then uh, maybe UV specs so we can start doing, you know, VDKs, IVUs, all that good stuff. I'm not trying to put you out of business, of course, <laughs> but you'll, you'll still see samples for yeah, sure. No um, and then a big part of it is installing the sensory program. Mm-hmm. You know, right now it is very... Um, minimal, not in the sense that we're not paying attention to things, but the, you know, I've, at Oxbow, we were doing a full sensory program, including like bar staff, packaging staff, production staff, breweries, owners, HR, everybody was kind of in it. Um, it was really great to like build people's palettes and get to know everybody and getting to know our own blind spots and all of that. And so uh, right now, just because we're very, we're not even short staff, we just don't have a lot of staff that's very busy all the time. So, mm-hmm. you know, trying to herd people into the lab to taste beers, um, it isn't always the easiest thing to do, especially when you're brewing and packaging five days a week. And yeah, so hopefully, you know, get a little more robust system going with that. But to that other end, you know, like I'm tasting almost every single tank, almost every single day and just like knowing where things are going. And I guess just kind of trusting myself and relying on my experience with, you know, giving things a thumbs up or thumbs down. And then if I have a problem running it through the head brewer, our seller team, packaging team, etc. Yeah, that's always been my biggest challenge with sensory is just getting people to drink beer. Nobody wants to drink beer in the middle of the day. Yeah. <laughs> it's like they're busy, uh, you know, running a brewery or something. Right. <laughs> All right. Well, what? So this might be that same answer, though. Uh, I was going to say, what's your biggest challenge in the lab? I don't know if it's uh, getting that sensory program going, or if there's 
something else? Um, biggest challenge is just like pinpointing the source of the very hard to detect beer spoilers. Mm. Um, it's one thing to find them, come across them, but it's another to be like, where does this come from? Where is this mm-hmm. coming from? And, you know, how can I regularly test for it and, you know, manage it? Um, so, yeah, we came across some, you know, very particular ones like pectinatus and lactobacillus acetotolerans. Um, and they could have come from a million different places. You know, we have trucks coming and going all the time. Mm-hmm. We have a full kitchen staff running through the kitchen and then our brewery and just like, all the hands and feet that come in and out of this place it's just like where where do you stop and where do you start or looking for you know it's yeah it's it's exhausting at that point so it just kind of honing in those sources and you know we've eliminated them at the point of contact with product but how do we how do we keep them from coming back and keep it at bay that's mm-hmm. kind of our biggest biggest hurdle at this point yeah uh, i feel like pectinatus has been like a something I've been seeing more and more of. And I don't know if it's just like with, because uh, I have a, a way to detect it now. I know you've got the gene disc too with the PCR. Or I know I've heard that some of, you know, as canning lines improve and, you know, we've got less and less oxygen in our packages in our bottles, some of that bacteria that's very strictly anaerobic uh, is able to grow because uh, we've improved one process, but now we've opened up a, a better environment for other types of bacteria so yeah no it's it's double-edged sword for sure and like mm-hmm. it's funny when we were doing our Siebel and Doman's course all the instructors were like you guys are craft brewers you'll never have to deal with pectinatus megasphera etc mm-hmm. you know sure enough we're making low ABV low alcohol light beers that yeah. are very susceptible and you know we have very good DO levels and very good seams and all that stuff so it's just like the perfect potential environment mm-hmm. for you know some of the worst possible things to live in there yeah yeah i guess that's the other as we trend from the the double ipas down to the the low abv beers we've got some more opportunities for some of those for someone who is maybe starting out a, a quality program in their brewery what's one piece of advice that you would give them I would say um, just be open and be willing to open up yourself and use the resources around you, use the resources online, use your community, um, and be willing to be vulnerable with your mistakes or maybe the things you're overlooking. Um, And yeah, it's just like you can have a nice fancy lab, but if you don't have the mindset, like you're not going to get anything done. Or if you have an ego, like leave it behind because that's no place for quality to thrive. You know, if you can't look, mm-hmm. if you can't look inward, you know what's the point? Because there are so many other breweries out there that are open and growing and taking constructive criticism, and that's really, I think, like yeah, mindset before you even think about equipment or any of that. What is something that you wish other brewers knew about quality control? Yeah, I think a big thing is just like thinking that once it gets in the can or the bottle off the packaging mm-hmm. line, it's good to go and it'll just like live a perfect life on the shelf. Yeah. Uh, so much happens down the road when it's, you know, sitting on the floor of a su- supermarket for two months, three months, mm-hmm. whatever. Um, and just to like keep checking in on your beers, like you might not catch something until month six and that can be, you know, show symptomatics of like what's going on in your brewery that you might not have caught otherwise um and you know our beers like they're so delicate and light and you know again subtle that 
you can start to see things happen maybe quicker than you would in a double IPA or, you know, a mixed firm farmhouse ale. It's just, yeah, yeah knowing your beers, knowing how they age, knowing how the package, you know, lives and dies on the shelf, essentially. Do you have any examples of something unexpected that you've kind of come across in the lab? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So um, the run-in with pectinatus was mm-hmm. certainly not expected. Yeah. And, you know, that's a whole podcast in itself. And I'm sure other people have kind of gone down that same rabbit hole. Um, one other thing is re-fermenting lager cans, uh, which you don't really think of. But if you have unfiltered, unpasteurized lager that goes into the can... Uh, with live active yeast, maybe it didn't finish its fermentation in the tank. Um, and for so long, you know, you can put in a recipe on the computer where it's like, crash the lager at day 10, you, it's done, you know, but it's not actually done fermenting. Mm-hmm. And down the road, it sits on the shelf and it'll just pick back up and like continue its life. So um, that was something, you know, that was kind of one of those day one confrontations where they were being checked in on and they were re-fermenting the can. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was getting down to, you know, yeast pitch rates and then flocculation, how much of that stuff is hanging out in the can at packaging and um, just really kind of tackling that and, you know, remediating it to get it behind us. All right. I think we've covered most of my questions here. Did you have anything that you want to add about the lab or quality control or places to start maybe? Um, yeah, I think a good place to start is just like, don't assume you need a lab person to run mm-hmm. the lab. Um, and if you have a lab person, like, you know, cross utilize them. You know, I do a lot of work on the draft systems and I work with sales and, you know, all the different aspects. And, you know, I was a bartender and a bar manager. I never thought I would be in a lab situation ever. Mm-hmm. Um, so just like be open and know that other people might have all the skills to do lab stuff. They just don't know it. Um, so, yeah, if you're a brewery out there that's looking for, you know, lab work, just like keep your eyes and ears open. You know, don't know when you'll stumble upon the right person or right persons. Mm-hmm. Right. What's your favorite part about working for Von Trapp? Uh, my favorite part is, it sounds cliche, but like end of the day, cracking open a Hellas, pouring it, and just yeah. like enjoying tasting almost, I don't want to say nothing, but just like clean, 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 refreshing, balanced, nuanced, subtle beer mm-hmm. and having those around us that also made this beer just say like, wow, like we did this and we continue to do it. And uh, we joke all the time that like we take the hard road, like loggers are long, they take longer. It's more nitpicky. Uh, they're just like so difficult. And if any, you know, shortcomings come out in the beer, that's much more easy to detect than mm-hmm. your double IPAs that are full of haze and juice and all that stuff and no knock on that but it's just like bloggers are not easy <laughs> and doing mm-hmm. them consistent season to season doing them right it's yes yeah, such a challenge but that challenge makes it more rewarding yeah you've also got a beautiful location to uh, enjoy those those beers in for those of you who have, have not gone out to stowe and checked out the brewery they've got a beautiful beer hall and yeah, that, that helps too. We usually drink beer in the cooler with the door oh, closed, well, but we, we open the windows sometimes. <laughs> yep. Uh, all right, so where can people find more about Von Trapp? Yeah, so we are on all the social media platforms at Von Trapp Brewing. Um, and then you should also follow Trapp Family Lodge. They have some fun uh, social media with what's happening up here on the hill. And 
um, yeah, just follow us and keep in touch with what's going on. We have a pretty solid core lineup. We don't roll out new beers very often, but our seasonals are uh, very exciting and really fun to drink. So keep up with those. And uh, yeah, we're available up and down the East Coast and very heavily in Vermont. So we should be fairly easy to find for you know most of those of you listening out there. Great. Cool. Thank you so much for talking to me today, Jack. Yeah, thank you, Emmy. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. If you're looking for more quality tips, check out season one of Check Your Beer, where I'm joined by Julie Smith of Lawson's Finest Liquids. Also check out zymologylabs.com for more resources and blog posts. 